And again, the bottom was reached well before a lot of the economic effects were happening. So the stock market is always looking forward. It's what the economists call a leading indicator. And so that, that part is normal. And a lot of times people you know, don't necessarily get that. Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the Retire Smarter Podcast. Walter Storholt with you alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you throughout Northeast Ohio and Southwest Florida. You can find the team online at truewealthdesign.com and schedule your 15-minute call with an experienced financial advisor on the team. That's truewealthdesign.com. Kevin, great to be with you this morning. The podcast was in danger of not being recorded with my wife's car troubles and just, you know, all the things happening in the world. We just have to overcome so many challenges to, to get where we are. But hey, car started and uh, life, is, life is good and we're rolling this morning. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And uh, I guess uh, full disclosure, Walter, I asked if everything was okay with, uh, with your wife and her vehicle. And, and you had shared that, yeah, I think I screwed it up and left the door cracked last night. <laughs> yeah, it's, pro- it's, pro- it's probably my fault. <laughs> I, well, I probably was responsible for the battery drain, I believe. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, it was nice of you. I'll, I'll share. Uh, you're a humble guy, Walter, so I'm, I'll... I'll share this for you, but uh, Walter's wife, Connie, is a nurse, and uh, Walter is disinfecting her car every night after she comes home from work uh, in the in the pandemic situation that we find ourselves, and so he's going out, disinfecting his car for his wife, and uh, just happened to leave the door cracked, apparently. So I think that's uh, certainly understandable, and I think that shows what a, what a good husband you are, Walter. Well, thank you. I, it's not as bad as when I actually uh, left the windows completely down, and I don't know why I rolled the window down. I think I accidentally hit the button as I was cleaning, and then she went out the next morning, and there were uh, all sorts of bugs and things inside the car. I was really trying to get fired from that responsibility, but it didn't. It it didn't work. It's still on my plate. So, <laughs> but it's uh, it's good stuff, and uh, yeah, we're in it together. It's a team, and uh, makes her feel more comfortable to have a nice sanitized car to drive back to work in the morning. So it works out nicely. But uh, we've go. got we've got a great show on the way today, Kevin. Uh, part of a two part series that we're launching here, kind of talking about the market, investing, speculating, um, kind of lots of different angles for us to cover here. I think sort of the the crux of the conversation, Kevin, is going to revolve around this somewhat puzzling idea. At least I know it's been puzzling to me. I've heard lots of other people say, well, this has been kind of weird over the last couple of months, how we get these bleak economic reports out of, uh, you know from the press, but yet we have this positive surge in the stock market. We're in the midst of the pandemic. We still hear you know worries and concerns of having to shut back down, um, a lot of the unrest that's throughout the country, and yet stocks kind of just keep surging and going up positively, at least at the time of this recording. And so, you know, is that great news? Are we ready for a stock market sell-off? There's a lot of questions about it. Are people just speculating? Are we following true investing principles as a country as everybody is kind of trying to figure out their financial futures here? I feel like I'm not alone in that level of confusion and this kind of stark contrast that we have between the stock market and how the economy is performing. It doesn't seem to compute on many levels. Uh, no, I completely agree. And we've been getting a lot of questions about that from, from current clients as well as from new people that we're, we're starting to work with. And uh, that's the reason for talking about it. Uh, in this two-part or three or four-part, well, actually to be determined. Um, but 
whenever you're looking at your retirement plan, I mean, we're on the Retire Smarter podcast, uh, and you have to have some assumptions for what you're going to earn from your investments long term. And those assumptions need to be at least within the ballpark of uh, what is reasonable. And you're never going to predict it exactly. And the further you go out in time, uh, kind of the, let's see, the more narrow the ballpark becomes. Um, so if you're looking at really short-term returns, you know, hey, you could be spraying the ball anywhere within the ballpark. Maybe it's going outside the foul lines and left to right field. You know, who knows? Maybe it's going up the middle, but it's it could be sprayed anywhere. But, you know, as you go out in time, it's more likely to go up the middle. It may go in left center, may go in right center, but you're kind of truncating um, the tails, if you will. And so that's kind of uh, a good thing to remember when you're thinking about this. I mean, time is uh, certainly something that is really important when it comes to investing. You know, short term, lots of uncertainty, uh, lots of uncertainty and needing to meet uh, retirement income distributions or any sort of short term cash flow need. Well, you better have it in a short term asset. But as you look out longer term, you know, you're, you're going to need to have your money grow over time for you. You're going to need to keep up with inflation and be able to preserve your lifestyle and do the things that you want to do and at least have your money last a little bit longer than you do. So the longer term money still needs to be in uh, some riskier assets that have the, the more of the potential for growth. And that varies for everybody. But uh, with where we're at right now, in 2020 has been an interesting year and that's an obvious understatement um but all of these questions about you know hey you know uh, should i invest right now is it too much i mean is there still opportunity that's out there i mean these are a lot of questions that we're getting and so i figured we'd really just kind of dive into it and and tackle it and see where it goes and so we're we're going to start today is is really talking i think more about the prudent side of the equation Know, really what stocks do and kind of that forward looking nature that they have. And then in the next episode, we'll get into, well, maybe when does that really become too forward looking and maybe become more speculative in nature? And and I would really demarc speculating from investing in the sense that, you know, we 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 have a four part podcast series that we did previously on our investing process. It is very process centric. You know, you certainly have inputs that you go through and, and you construct your beautifully diversified investment portfolio that is ultimately going to be matched back to your to your financial life plan to support it uh, and, and best align with the things that you want to do over time. And then on the other hand, uh, you, you really have this more speculative nature where it's it's almost like the greater fool theory. You know, hey, prices are going up. I'm going to go ahead and buy this and uh, hope that somebody's willing to pay more for it so I can make money. But there's really not an underlying fundamental case or support for the higher prices. That sort of speculative nature is more easily seen in in things like, well, Bitcoin or gold or something that is really doesn't have an intrinsic value necessarily, but it also can be in stock prices. And the dot-com bubble is probably the one that most people remember, but there's certain traits uh, that are going on in the market today that bear quite a resemblance to the dot-com bubble. So We'll start with more of the prudent side of the equation in this episode, and then we'll get more into the speculative one in the next one. So I think it would be good to listen to both of them together. Uh, I think you'll kind of get a point and counterpoint, and it'll tell the whole story a little bit more effectively. So do you want to start with uh, the forward-looking side of things? Because uh, just to play devil's advocate, I've always heard that markets react to news. If markets react to news, then how can they be forward-looking? Because they're reactionary 
to what's happening in the world. So what hasn't happened yet can't dictate what's going to happen in the market. I've kind of heard both both of those things said to be true about the markets, but they kind of con- conflict with one another. Let me tr- let me simplify what you just said and say it another way. But okay. um, you get paid for surprises. How about that, Walter? You get okay. Hold on, I have to gi- digest. You get paid for surprises. That that you're going to need more more context there. All right. I like it. I like it. It's a new one. (laughs) So we talked about this whenever we we did. uh, I talked about why technology stocks must underperform going forward. It was a few episodes ago, maybe a couple months ago. And uh, the example that I gave back then was, hey, here, and I looked at the stocks in 2009 and, and how they were priced and what the earnings were. And then ultimately how they had done really, really well over the, the next 10 years up and through the end of 2019. And basically, if you own those stocks, you, you got paid for the surprise, their outsized growth, their outsized earnings over that decade. You know, If you had just owned the market, you would have done well over those 10 years, but you wouldn't have had the outsized return. So if you're going to get outsized returns, you're going to get paid for surprises. And that you know, as you kind of indicated, it's it's news. You know, it's you're predicting the future, something that hasn't happened, something that is not currently baked into the stock prices, so to say. So whenever you get these surprises, good or bad, that's really when it, it's really going to be more of a market mover. Uh, let me put this a little bit more context to what's been going on with the pandemic. So if we go back to to February, that's really when it started getting pretty serious in in Ohio, where most of our clients, uh, many of our clients, and and um, probably many of our listeners are, um, you know, things got locked down in in late March. Uh, it was March 22nd, a stay-at-home order was issued. Schools were shut down, I think, uh, maybe about 10 days before that. And, you know, it was just, you could just feel it. I mean, I, I was in Florida at the time and talking to my, my team uh, every morning in Ohio. I mean, you could just sense it, that it was just, it was palpable. And, and leading up to, to the shutdown, economic activity had already slowed. You know, people had already changed their behavior. They weren't going out to eat. They weren't uh, doing nearly as much. I mean, everybody probably remembers the grocery store shelves being barren and you know, not being able to buy toilet paper or what have you. So those behaviors were already there. It's just, uh, and they were, they really preceded, you know, ultimately the stay-at-home order that Ohio issued and was one of the few states that did. Uh, so, the economy really hadn't, it was starting to get bad. It was starting to slow down. Um, however, stock prices were moving much more quickly in anticipation of the slowdown. And stock prices, you know, many will remember if you look at it, I mean, it started going down a good bit in February and really sped up in early March. But they bottomed on March 23rd. So we're recording this just after July 4th. And they bought them in March 23rd. And really, the economic impacts were really just starting to, to be felt. You know, this consumer spending, which comprises about 70% of the U.S. economy, was just starting to, to slow down. People were saving more. They were spending more on the groceries and stocking up their shelves and things like that. They're cutting back on the travel, leisure, entertainment, you know, things along those lines. Uh, however, all the the stock market and all the sectors that comprise the stock market were selling off pretty rapidly, and in fact, had bottomed you know down at least thirty percent. Some parts of the U.S. market were down forty, fifty percent, and close to fifty percent by March twenty third. But that that was the bottom, and again, the bottom was reached well before a lot of the economic effects were happening. So the stock market is always looking forward. It's what the economists call a leading indicator. 
Um, and so that, that part is normal. And a lot of times people, you know, don't necessarily get that. I remember a conversation I had with a client after 2008, and they were sitting on uh, a very large amount of cash. And I, and I just asked them, I said, you know, what's it going to take for you to go ahead and feel comfortable investing your cash? And, and he's a smart guy. He's an executive uh, at Sterling Jewelers, uh, which is headquartered in Akron, Ohio, just down the road from our office. And he's like, well, I mean, I need to see unemployment going lower. I'm like, okay, well, economists would say that's a lagging indicator. Um, you know, if you're waiting until the economy's back at full employment, you're probably going to miss out on, on a large amount of the rally. And so it's, it's one of those things where I get it. It's kind of counterintuitive. Uh, you know, things are bad. Bad things are happening. The market, you know, switched in March and started going up and, and went up, you know, a good bet. Uh, you know, recording this in, again, early July now, the market... The U.S. market SP 500 was down more than 20% in the first quarter, and it was up more than 20% in the second quarter. That's the first time that's happened since the Great Depression. It was like 1932. So, you know, is this <laughs> is this rational, or is this maybe sort of a, a bear market bounce or something? Well, again, we'll kind of talk about that a little bit more, and frankly, only time will truly tell. But the disconnect between the economy and markets is not unusual. It's just that you have to peel back the onion layers a little bit to really look through some of the current economic turmoil to really, what can we expect as investors going forward? One of the other things that I talked about uh, in going through March was, you know, this is in 2008, was, was a saying that I said a lot uh, for several different reasons. But in the context of what we're talking about today, um, again, consumers comprise about 70% of the market. Consumer spending took about four years just to get back to where it was before the global financial crisis happened, before 2008 happened. So it reached a peak in 2007. It's falling off a cliff. It took a little bit more than four years or so to get back to where it was in 2007. Now, we don't know how long it's going to take us to go ahead and recover uh, that same sort of metric consumer spending going through this COVID pandemic. But current estimates from a lot of the, uh, you know, just the economic thinkers, academics, big global banks, are that it's probably going to take about two years, so about half the time. And implicit in that is that, hey, there's, there is going to be, uh, whether it's herd immunity, vaccine, we'll see. It looks like uh, my, my, my second home state of Florida is, is going down the path of really contributing to, hey, let's reach herd immunity as soon as we can right now. And yeah, it makes me think of uh, Ricky Bobby. And if you're not first, you're last. So way to go and be first in, in something, Florida, I suppose. <laughs> but it, it's really kind of you know, going to be truncated. And it seems like you know, listening to a lot of the different health experts that are out there that you know, there's been, certainly been a lot of positive developments. Hopefully, this thing is going to be able to be truly truncated here, at least in the more developed countries. Sometime in 2021, probably going to take longer in some of the more uh, emerging or less developed countries, be it India or what have you. Maybe it's going to take a little bit longer just because they don't have the health system and the infrastructure to get back to where they they need to be and just to really disseminate uh, whether it's a vaccine, reach herd immunity, whatever. But when you're looking forward, so you can look forward and say, okay, things are maybe going to get back to whatever this new normal is going to be in, say, two years. Certainly, there's going to be some shifts in consumer spending. We've talked about that in the past. Nobody truly knows, but 
you know, I think that certainly COVID is going to change things, but I, at the same time, I think things are probably going to get back to some version of whatever the normal was, but shift a little bit. I don't think it's going to be a completely new world forever, quite frankly. I just don't think that's how people inherently behave. But, you know, looking forward like that does make sense when you're looking at stocks. Uh, and in fact, we've mentioned this a few times, but we did this for our clients in March, you know, right in the thick of it, whenever we were going through and, and having these big down days in March and the stock market had reached more than 30% down. I'm telling you, I mean, you know, it's not, I'm not immune from having those emotional reactions either. I mean, it was pretty severe for everybody. It was a health scare, which I think made it worse in many, many ways. Uh, but what I figured I would do is at least briefly read uh, an email we sent out to about a third of our clients. And we sent it on Tuesday morning, March 17th. And anytime that we communicate with people, even like through this medium here, we're in a regulated business and you know you have to, you can't puff anything up. I mean, we have a very strict SEC regulations on advertising and communication and what have you. And so this is just going to read the email as is that was we sent it out on March 17th. So here, here we go. So in the past, we have discussed increasing risk in your portfolio if we believed return expectations warranted increasing risk. We feel now is the time to consider doing so. Few points on the current situation. Compared to 2008, this is not a financial crisis, but rather a health crisis, which tend to be much shorter in duration. Current models from health experts are showing a peak in the summer months in the U.S. So that's basically where we are now, and hopefully this, this does prove to be the peak. We're close to it. Markets will overshoot to the downside due to fear and uncertainty. This will only become apparent in hindsight, but happens in every crisis. Being health-related, the crisis and effects from social distancing will likely cause greater negative reactions and selling them past non-health crises. Markets are forward-looking, recovering well before the economy does. As coronavirus testing finally becomes more widespread in the U.S. and positive developments on vaccine are announced, these are likely to bring calmer tones to markets and help them quickly turn positive, even as the economy still works through the turmoil. So it goes on to provide a little bit more, but that's really the, the main thing that we said. And we sent that out to about 60 clients or so, about a third of our clients that, again, had the ability or the risk capacity within their financial plan to go ahead and take more risk if it was warranted. And so they could afford to take that risk. And we had about uh, 90, 95% of our, our clients that, that actually did follow the recommendation. Some people just didn't feel comfortable, which is certainly understandable. Frankly, we were surprised that 90 to 95% actually did increase risk. We thought it was going to be more like 50-50 just because in March, I mean, it was scary. And it, it's, it's still scary, but it's, it's not as scary as it was in March, I would say, when it was just so new and, and it really just hit us and shocked us. So we sent that on March 17th. I certainly did not know that the market was going to bottom on March 23rd. The timing looks you know, pretty smart, um, and I'm happy that it played out that way. I'll take luck any time that we can get it. But this was really us looking forward and saying, hey, you know, even if earnings are, are zero in 2020 going forward, and even impaired significantly in 2021. When we get back to 2022, because stocks had fallen 30, 40, some parts of the market, even 50%, we just felt that they had fallen too much. Thus, we sent the email. So we're happy that it played out how it did. We were able to look forward for the clients that 
had the ability to take the risk. Uh, the vast majority of them did. At the same time, you know, we, we told them that this was not a short-term timing decision. In fact, we made the trades to increase risk over, over a period of weeks because we, we didn't know if it was going to be the bottom. We wanted to reduce the timing risk, and, and we just felt that it was prudent. So, so that's what we did. And we certainly said that things could get worse before it gets better. Um, there was no reason why the stock market couldn't have gone further down. But also right around the time that we sent that email, the Fed had really stepped in and started doing uh, a lot of unprecedented measures. Congress stepped in. All this happened much, much more quickly than what happened in 2008. And we looked forward and, and we're happy that we did. So here we are now in July and it looks like, well, hey, the market's bounced back quite a bit. And Walter, I don't know about you, but economically, I mean, things, <laughs> I heard somebody call it the careful economy uh, right now. And careful seems pretty accurate for most places. I mean, people aren't exactly back to normal. Thankfully, uh, I was out last week and getting, I do the grocery shopping when we have to go out. And I was seeing a lot more masks. We're, we're still actually in Florida. My family's in Florida. Um, we just did not feel comfortable traveling back to Ohio and just introducing any risk as we were traveling back. So we just decided to stay put. And now, now Florida's like numero uno hotspot and kind of daily new cases, but we, at least we can still be safe in our home. Um, but when I did go out last, I, I, it was the most mass that I've seen. Um, so it seems like certain people are getting the message at the same time. We had a July 4th party in our neighborhood. We didn't have it. Our neighborhood had it. And uh, my wife uh, took my older daughter down to see the fireworks that they were having. And she said there was probably 100 people gathered together, no masks, not a single one, and not really any social distancing. So my wife stayed away So and allowed my daughter to see the fireworks, but stayed... Um, just didn't inter intermingle with anybody. And so it looks like a lot of people in our neighborhood are are going for the herd immunity. And they were mostly younger people, my wife shared. But on the other hand, when I was out at the grocery store, I'm seeing more people, a lot more people than what I had been, you know, wearing masks and being more careful. And so that's my little microcosm down here. Ohio certainly seems to be a little bit on the safer side in general, but everybody's having kind of this fits and starts, ebb and flows, and by no means is the economy back to normal right now. And, and it's still going to take some time to go ahead and, and be there where people truly feel safe and we can go out and just get back to whatever our, the, our normal lives or our new normal lives are going to be. So, but stock prices have looked forward and now it becomes a question, well, are they looking forward too much. Um, so we'll talk about that next time. But one other thing that I wanted to mention before we wrap this episode up, I read something from uh, Vanguard recently. And what Vanguard said was 90% of the retail accounts did nothing so far in 2020. So they didn't panic out in March, which is great. You know, they stuck around for it, but they also did nothing. And, you know, on the surface, it may sound good that, hey, they, they did nothing. They didn't panic, panic out. But frankly, if you Again, I'll use the peel back the onion a little bit here. That's not necessarily the right thing either. You know, when stocks sold off in March and they sold off darn quickly, I mean, the things that we were doing and, and what should have been done, quite frankly, was, you know, stocks went down a lot. So we've talked about rebalancing. March was a great month to go ahead and get a rebalancing bonus because you were selling the things that had gone up in value or at least fallen less. Uh, even some high, higher quality bonds did fall for a couple of weeks in March, but stocks had fallen much, much more significantly. 
So you were, we were selling uh, the things that had done well to buy the things that had done poorly and buy low, sell high. Again, basic rule of investing. If you are a taxable investor, have a joint account or trust account, um, you know, none of our clients are really going to be paying any sort of capital gains taxes this year because we were proactive and we realized losses in March. We bought a similar but not identical substitute security for what we sold and realized in terms of the tax loss and and basically reestablished our position at now a lower cost basis and all of our clients are going to be getting benefits you know from that when it comes time to file their 2020 tax returns um so if you're not doing anything and those are two things that everybody should be doing the other thing that i just talked about about certain clients where we increased risk i mean that was a portfolio that was a strategic change other clients you know we actually changed their spending plans a little bit we raised a little bit more cash some clients were in more high-risk situations for their employment continuing. So again, maybe they were able to afford more risk you know, coming into 2020, but now the continuation of their employment is much less certain. So, hey, we got to respond to that. So both from a financial planning perspective, things have been changing and changing quite rapidly, as well as from an investing perspective, things have been changing and changing quite rapidly. So while not panicking out is good, it's certainly not enough to really make the most of what you have and make sure that you're being proactive given the uncertainty of the pandemic that we're in. So some things to keep in mind, you know, again, the stock market and the economy are not the same thing. It is reasonable to look through some of the turmoil that we're in and have gone through. In the next episode, we'll talk about maybe when that becomes a little bit irrational and a little bit too much. But when it comes down to your financial planning, the investments have to be in alignment with it. Again, things have been changing very quickly for many people in their personal situation from a financial planning perspective. And certainly all of the inputs for the investing process have been changing quite quickly as well, which ultimately means we've been doing a lot more portfolio work this year because of the dynamic nature of things. So I think it's really important to keep those in mind uh, and just be very prudent and proactive with your planning and with your investments. I was uh, kind of chuckling on this side of the equation here, Kevin, as you were talking about the do-nothing approach. I was like, well, I can do that. <laughs> I can sit around and do nothing. So, you know, it's interesting to hear that, uh, you know, people who do this for a living also just sat around and did nothing while you were busy trying to take advantage of opportunities and, uh, you know, being proactive about about some of these things. There's a big difference between uh, between value there, I think, in terms of advice and, and instruction that you get uh, versus somebody that's just sort of like, hey, things are unpredictable. Let's uh, let's do nothing versus those who are proactive. I think that's a, an, an interesting testament to your team and the way that you guys view things and kind of points back to that process that you laid out. Uh, what That was back before the pandemic when we talked about your investing process and the principles behind it, So, uh, or at least maybe right at the beginning of it. So it's neat to see how that kind of has played out through all of this um, and, and played out well from what it sounds like, right? Yeah. you know, we're, I read the email about the risk increase, and clients are... I'm quick to acknowledge luck in what we did. Again, the decision that we made in March was looking out. It wasn't looking out a few weeks or a few months. It was really looking out a couple of years with that was that was the underlying thesis of the decision. You know, nobody knew what was going to happen in March. There's still a very wide ranging of economic outcomes. So I'm not trying to pretend that I have a crystal ball or anything far from it. However, you know, it was more the looking forward aspect. And for those clients that have the ability to increase risk, we did so. Now, you know, 
at the same time, here we are in July and in the next episode, we'll kind of talk about, well, hey, <laughs> really, I mean, has it come too far too fast? Uh, and uh, do we maybe need to rethink some of this? And I guess that's probably where we'll leave it for today. So uh, so I'll, I'll toss it back over to you, Walter. We'll <laughs> leave the audience hanging a little bit. That's a great point uh, because it did come roaring back quickly. Have we come back too quickly? And what kinds of problems does that create? Uh, we've all probably heard that word speculation before. You don't want to speculate with money, but what does that really look like? Can we define it? Can we illustrate that against just true investing? Uh, we'll counter those two things against one another on the next episode as we continue part two of our conversation about uh, this whole idea of when the stock market diverges from the economy and how do you reconcile those differences. That'll be coming up on the next edition of Retire Smarter. In the meantime, if you have questions about your own financial plan, uh, need an advisor to look at your plan with you, talk to you about your financial future, how you can better structure yourself for retirement and uh, overcoming any obstacles financially that you might face, uh, reach out to the True Wealth Design team. You can go to truewealthdesign.com and click on the Are We Right For You button to schedule your 15-minute call with an experienced advisor on the team today. Again, go to truewealthdesign.com and click on the Are We Right For You button. You can also call the old-fashioned way, 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-893-7526. For Kevin Krosky, I'm Walter Storholt. We'll see you on the next edition of Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.